<laughs> I literally just feel like a baby with a drool coming down my chin. <laughs> it's not lethargic. It's not happening this episode. I don't want your asshole touching my skin, Simba. <laughs> God damn. Just straight asshole asshole to leg contact. And I don't need that in my life right now because I yeah. see his asshole and it's dirty. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. This is the Red Rum and Red Wine podcast, the podcast where we talk about murder, mystery, mishaps, and my cat's dirty asshole. My name is Kristen. <laughs> Sarah here. What's up? Ugh, just gross. Like, they lick it. Lick it some more. <laughs> uh, we're working through some audio issues, so hopefully this episode pulls it together. If it does, give myself a pat on the back <laughs> and buy me a glass of wine. Okay, thanks. Okay, thanks. Just, uh... <sighs> we need all the help we can get over here. You know, maybe we should try and get sponsored by BetterHelp. <laughs> I would actually love that because, you know, like, I I can't afford therapy right now. So, like, some free therapy, <laughs> some sponsored therapy would be great. <laughs> Very much welcomed. But fuck, man. Yeah. It's, like, one, I didn't anticipate how hard it is to get anything done with a two-year-old child in the household. So, like, it's just... I think, did I mention I'm tired? Hi. So, um... Part three. <laughs> Part three, what up? What up? We're back. It's, um, I'm not giving y'all a new episode because this one just, this should be enough. It's great. It's, it's not great. Fuck. It's, it's enough. It's enough. What? Wait, to, you're not giving them a new episode? For like this week, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not giving you a new episode. Oh, like a new story. A new story, yeah. I was like, but oh, this is now, a new episode. Now, yeah, just see. Okay, yeah. I'm, I'm fucking tired, bro. My brain is running in fumes. And I also took a hit that I probably shouldn't have. Because now it's just like, woo. But ugh. part three. Yes. Okay, we're back. Part three. I'm not giving a new story because I have to finish this story about Jonathan's story. You dig? So... <laughs> here we go i'm like okay yeah i totally need a recap yeah i'm like where are we so and i like kind of forgot where we were i kind of had to listen to the end of the second episode to figure it out so i'm pretty sure that we left off right after the medical board decided that they were going to do a formal investigation into Jonathan's story. Okay. So if you are clicking on this episode for the very first time, you are clicking on the wrong one. This is part three (laughs) of a very long story. So go two episodes back to part one. But uh, trigger warning before we start off, this deals heavily, heavily, heavily with sexual assault. So if that is not your vibe, go ahead, click off. No, (laughs) no problems. No complaints. Uh, But 
Jonathan's story is the doctor of Lovell, Wyoming, one of like the two that they have. And he had a very bad habit. <laughs> like, what do you call it? <laughs> he was addicted to sex and had very naughty, wrong uh, uh, forces driving him to yeah. misuse his authority authoritarian powers it's he was a bad dude he raped his patients while giving them pelvic exams pretty much so we have the MacArthur family particularly the MacArthur women um just to recap Minda and Meg who broke the story and their mom Arden and we're getting the ball rolling on trying to get Dr. Story to stop raping his patients you would think that that would be an easy thing to do but it turns out in this story because it's a three-parter it's really not so they would try to go to the medical board people in the past have gone to the police doesn't work after finding five names to give to the medical board of women that john story has assaulted they were finally able to get an informal interview process going on and during that the they pretty much decided that like hey Five women is a lot to come up and just say that something happened. You know, it, it it's less likely that this is a lie. We should probably dig a little deeper into this. And so right. at this point, the board... And, of course, when they asked Jonathan's story, he's like, Oh, no, I, nothing happened to me. <laughs> they owe me money. <laughs> so now they're like, all right, let's see what's going on. Let's do an investigation into this. I'm so sorry. That was a terrible recap, but... <laughs> I'm running on coffee fumes here. <laughs> so while this informal interview is being taken place, uh, the women were somewhat left in the dark about it. Like for the longest time, they didn't even know if they had received any, if the medical board had received any of their letters. And while they're sitting around trying to, or waiting to hear back from the medical board, people around the town are starting to figure out what's going on. And they are not happy about it and they decide to take it out on the victims so people would stop the MacArthur women in the streets and be like how dare you try to ruin this man's reputation what are you doing women would come up to them and say like we know that you're lying because we have pelvics from story and we know other friends that have pelvic pelvics from him and there is no way that this is happening you're lying it's total bs uh, so by September 1st, Arden would actually see an ad in the town paper that was uh, named the Lovell Chronicle. And she saw that they were actually holding a 25-year anniversary celebration for Dr. Story. Yeah. And the town was encouraging people to send letters of appreciation to the family. <laughs> I kind of see where this is going. Uh, maybe not. So, and it, like the people sent in letters and they were writing like wonderful things. And of course, it's like you're the victim of a terrible, horrible crime and you're seeing this person like being awarded. You're like, what the fuck is going on? So Arden goes over to the state senator and he happens to be like a part of her church. Um, So his name is Cal Taggart. And she tells him like, this is pretty fucked up. Like, he just had a... He, we just sent letters to the medical board 
to try and get him to stop being a doctor because he's raping us and you're throwing a party for him. And Cal kind of goes like, oh, I mean, like, yeah, there was a hospital manager in the 60s or 70s that, like, had told me that, but I don't, I didn't believe him and I'm not going to believe you. Like, he's a good guy. He's a good guy. Okay. Yeah. And if you think he's an asshole, it, yeah, he is. Because he was also friends with uh, William Horsley, the doctor that we had talked about in the oh, previous yeah. parts that had, like, raped the boys of the town before Doctor Story came in. Ew. Yeah, he, like, went hunting with him. Oh. And he, he like, still, I think, stayed friends with him after we know him. Yeah. That's fine. <laughs> She would even try to go and meet with a man named Joe Brown, who was actually an elder of the Lovell Bible Church, which John Story pretty much had founded and was an elder of himself. (laughs) And she would go with Minda and try to say, like, you need to stop supporting him. You need to stop whatever you're doing with him because he is sexually assaulting us, like, they were warned to not go to him and they probably should have listened. But when they went, they like Minda would go into detail, I guess, about her sexual assault. And afterwards, when they left, like basically Joe Brown was making really bad rumors saying like, oh, they demonstrated the pelvic exam right in front of me. <gasps> like they were being really inappropriate. Like they would get a call from their president john abraham and he basically said like what the fuck i just heard this terrible rumor like are you going into because it was like uh an office where they were alone so joe could basically say like whatever happened in that office and no one could testify against it you know yeah so it just kind of like bit him in the butt and the town like really it fueled the fire yeah wow and while this is all going on Minda is also struggling with the question or uh, with the paternity of her child. So if you remember, I believe it was in part, I honestly forget. It was in part one. Yeah. Yeah. So in part one, uh, Minda describes how she was raped by Dr. Story. And then he would tell her, oh, by the way, you're two months pregnant. And then she would give birth to her daughter But the daughter came out extremely premature, even though John Story said, like, no, she's full term and she had to be in the NICU and got, like, wet lung that typically only preemies get. So, and she came out looking totally different than her two other sons. So Minda just had this nagging feeling in the back of her mind that, like, this is not her husband Scott's child. It is Jonathan Story's. Because didn't you say the child had, like, dark hair, which... Yeah, and I think uh, her hair ends up becoming, like, blonder, but she had brown eyes, which was different than the other kids, and she was described as, like, this really kind of, like, scrawny child. Like, Minda would say that she would hold her, and it just, like, the child felt awkward in her hands. Mm. And I don't know if it was because of that, but, like, Minda did not get along with Amber I mean even though she was only a four-year-old child she just said like they butted heads but it was more so that Minda had a sense that like she didn't do right by her like she was trying to she didn't want Amber Dawn to grow up in the situation that Minda was in and 
I think she just like really resented. I don't, it's weird. Like she would yell at the child a lot and uh, Arden would see this and be like, hey, you need to like let up on her. You know, she's just a kid. You don't need to aim for perfection. And it got to the point where like her Amber Dawn would walk around and she'd be like, I'm ugly. I'm ugly. I hate myself. And Minda would look at this and be like, oh my God, like I'm, I'm literally doing to this child what exactly what I didn't want to do, but it. It's just, I can obviously understand that emotion of, like, you think that this child is a product of something very traumatizing that happened to you. Yeah, so, so like, it it feeds this weird instinct on, like, how you said, she said that just holding her felt, like, awkward, not only because of her size, probably just because of what Minda kind of knew in the back of her mind or suspected. It yeah. affects your relationships when, even if you don't want it to or... Yeah. And in Minda's mind, like she just knew for a fact, like Amber Dawn was conceived on an exam room table and not with her husband. Right. So knowing this, she decided like she couldn't hold on to this doubt anymore. It was something that had to be checked. And at first she was really scared to confront anyone with this, but ultimately she ended up going to Scott and told him like hey i think that amber dawn is not yours i think she's actually doctor stories and we need to figure out what the truth is shit how did scott take it so scott actually took it pretty well said if amber is stories it just means she's something special it means we're supposed to have her and we'll love her that much more oh so I know like in the beginning I kind of like shot on Scott because he was <laughs> not that supportive but once he realized you know w- what really did happen this wasn't like Minda making something up or whatever right he really did a complete 180 and is just like was super supportive good guy good <laughs> Scott good boy so they at that point decided to go to Douglas Rung who was a doctor i don't know if he was in the same town i think he was like in a neighboring town but they would go to see him because that's the doctor that they decided to go see after they had left story Mm. and at first he was like i'm not gonna do this this is so outrageous like there's no way that that's even possible but minta put her foot down she's like i'm not going to leave until you give me this form because we need i need to have this done like i'm yeah it needs to be done Now, the kicker of this is, is that though the lab report isn't 100% conclusive um, because they didn't have a sample from Dr. Story, the test would appear almost certain that Scott was, in fact, the father. So Scott is the father. From what the test you are the the father i know that is (laughs) i literally thought of like maria like camera running (laughs) but yeah Um, so okay well yeah um like i know it's so wrong of me to be like a little disappointed i kind of wanted it it to be like proof of the it just gives you that much It's a very tangible piece of evidence that you can say for a fact this happened and it just would make the case a lot easier and they kind it's funny that you say that because in the book Minda kind of has the same feeling of like 
she's not disappointed, but it was like she could have, even though she feels relief of that, yes, Amber Dawn is in fact Scott's child, she still doesn't have that relief of like, right. that was that one missing link, you know? Well, and she felt like she knew already that she wasn't Scott's. So yeah. she probably just felt like perplexed on how yeah, she it was, was probably wrong, like a really, you know, a really big mind fuck to her and a really big readjustment to like thinking. Yeah, because then it's like, I well, mean, why do I feel awkward with her? Then shit, yeah. fuck me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's. It's just like you can't having a kid makes you feel all types of emotions. Like, I, I can't imagine with multiple. Hail to the no, no, no. So soon after this, the deposition begins and you have Assistant Attorney General Kathleen Carpen, who is representing the medical board. And then you have and then you have Story's lawyer, whose name is William Simpson. And this guy also happens to be the son of the U.S. Senator in Wyoming. Oh, no favorites here. Connections. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but... He wouldn't ask the questions. There would be a woman by the name of Loretta Kepler that would ask the questions during the deposition. I guess uh, more so for like the comfort of the victims. Okay. Yeah. Tactics. Yeah. I, I also don't know. <laughs> that, that's just like me guessing, but yeah. who knows. So even though Kathleen Kathy Carpin works for the medical board, um, She's, like, kind of a character. I don't know how to feel about her. Okay. Because, like, she plays the good guy, but then sometimes she says things, and I'm like, mm. At one point when the lawyers are kind of, like, sitting there, I guess, getting ready for the case, or they're, like, I don't know, doing lawyer shit, pre-trial lawyer deposition shit. And one of the dudes is, like, these women... We're literally about to hear these women talk about a penis entering their vagina. Like, this seems a little <laughs> over our heads. Like, should this not be a criminal proceeding? Like, this these are rape charges that we're talking about. But Kathleen was like, mm, no, like, it's the medical board's baby. Like, you shouldn't. This isn't nowhere near a criminal proceeding yet. Like, just... I object, like, let us have it. And then they kind of agree, and they're like, okay, so we'll continue. I'm like, mm, no, I object, Miss Kathy. I, like, object. I don't object. This is very much a criminal proceeding, but okay, go with it. So they would start off by questioning Minda, and as she was in her chair, she would remember Kathy's advice to try to, to think about the answer or to think about the question before answering because obviously the whole point of this is they are trying to trip up the victims make them get caught in a lie or something yeah give say the, the wrong thing defense, yeah give the defense something to go off with so she's sitting there and she's really trying to like think over everything before she answers and it's while she's doing this that she remembers a fucking like chilling detail that one time after an exam with Story, she realized that she had pen marks up and down her legs. <gasps> and it was From it known, being in his pocket? Ew. Yeah. And it, like nurses that had worked for him and other people would confirm that pen, like that is a place where he would put his pens. 
Ew. They would also ask Minda, obviously, if she would have done things differently looking back on it. And she was like, uh, yeah, I would have hailed him out in the ha- hall and asked what he was going to do now. And I'm like, yeah, you go, Minda. But she would also describe the, uh, she would also describe the trauma and PTSD that she still faces going to the doctor, as many of these women do. I want to say, like, one time the she had went to a doctor in the book. Um, I She had a rash somewhere, and so he asked her to, like, take off her shirt. And even though he was super respectful, even though he had simply asked her to take off the shirt, she was like, I'm not risking it. That was too risky even for me because she's just terrified to do mm-hmm. anything now with any type of doctor. Damn. And she would also make the comment that, like, no matter how old her children got, like, their mom's coming in with them. She's not going to ever leave them alone in a doctor's office simply because her trust in that has been completely diminished. Yeah. God. I can only imagine, like, the fear that and trauma that created. Oh, yeah. Like, just literally just, you know, going to the doctor is changed forever Mm -hmm. when meg took the stand loretta kepler would actually try to punch a hole in meg's story by saying that during meg's second assault when she realized that dr story was in fact assaulting her like she didn't say anything and loretta kepler was asking like well why why did you do that why were you not saying anything when you clearly knew that he was doing something to you Mm. and meg would basically look at kepler and say well would you have said anything or would you have done anything and Kepler was like yeah obviously I would have done something and Meg at that point is told her like I just truly didn't want to believe it and she didn't want to be what she like she didn't want to be the kinky one you know she didn't want to say like are you having sex with me or is your what are you doing and then him be like you're being weird yeah no you're being the kinky one what the fuck well because he's the one kind of with control you know like yeah and i know i had said at some point like one woman who did stand up to him and say like hey what are you doing he literally kicked out of the office and told everyone like oh she's kinky so it's not far-fetched for her to be scared that something like that would happen right As part of the investigation, the girls would also be shown their medical records. So what Dr. Story had wrote about them on the days of their attacks. Oh, shit. And, yeah. and (laughs) I would be pissed. So when Story wrote about Minda, he would basically describe her as, like, mentally ill. (gasps) He would say he had used the phrase nervous breakdown in her report and had even labeled her as a potential drug addict because one time she took too much Motrin. Oh my god. (laughs) What the fuck? I'm like, bitch, I would have I would have gone over the fucking cord and strangled the fuck out of you. Oh, I hate that. I hate that. That's always like their first thing. Oh, she's ill. She's unwell. (laughs) Oh yeah, okay. Like, that's literal, um gaslighting (laughs) (laughs) and then for meg he would just like altogether not have uh her exams there like if he went one of the days that he assaulted her he didn't even write anything so it was like she she didn't even go into the office that day wow and 
Yeah, so everything was fabricated, and they would basically say, like, yeah, this is <laughs> true, but, eh, of course. This is more of an investigation of, like, trying to prove that the victims are wrong rather than Dr. Story, so... Yeah. A lot of the questions were not, oh, like, why is he... It. The questions were more like, oh, are you sure that you didn't lie about it? Rather than, okay, well, let's ask Dr. Story. Okay, Dr. Story, are you sure you didn't? Oh. Right. They would even try to do the same to Alethea, saying that basically she was troubled because, like, men have harassed her before. So, like, on her mail route, she had two instances where, like, two separate men, I guess, had tried to, like, cat call her make a move on her and she was like ill no and because of that that made her like easy (laughs) i'm just like the the thinking process is not there but okay and somehow she's like asking for it or like she a fucking course stupid bullshit she would even like as soon as she left she would left the court she would tell her husband after the ordeal that they had tried to rape her legally, but that this time she was able to fight him off. Cause she pretty, she did very well of holding her ground. She gave the evidence and she was like, he fucking did this. Fuck you. I'm yeah. Out. Okay. Huh. The investigate or the medical board would also bring others such as, uh, Dr. John Charles Welch. So they could ask, you know, the very, complex and difficult questions like should there ever be a situation where it would be appropriate for a doctor and woman to engage in sexual relations in a doctor's office during a public exam apparently we need to ask yeah i'm like okay I'm like no yeah, they, okay. they said no right god uh. no they said yes <laughs> just kidding <laughs> And they would also ask if a dilation was ever necessary in an exam, which, okay, I'm, I'm not going to lie. It, it is like that is a actual medical thing, but it is so rare for it to be done. Like it's um, not every woman that comes into your office is needs to be dilated. It's like literally 1% of women. Yeah. The board... <laughs> <laughs> the board even debated if uh, Dr. Story needed to show them his penis because of the accounts, like the evidence given in the statements or given in some of the uh, accounts made it seem like he would need a big schlong to do it. And so they were like, damn, do we need to see it <laughs> should we they, i mean should we just ask them should, i mean do you pull your pants down do we know. should we do we want to yeah <laughs> <laughs> because the <clears throat> out of the accounts the record would conclude that his penis would need to have would have needed to have been 10 inches flaccid <gasps> in order for these accounts to make sense good god that is John's not fun. story is a that's chapter not fun. book that's not no that's too much uh uh like no, no words i'm actually speechless i no. i actually wouldn't go near that <laughs> <laughs> not i mean <laughs> if you had the choice yeah <laughs> no 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 that oh my god no 
No wonder it was so fucking painful. Yeah, ow. It split Good you in God. half. <clears throat> Ugh. Ugh. Yeah, that's just like not, that's not even like fun to imagine. No. <laughs> Ugh. Okay. Not like imagining penises are ever fun. I mean, sometimes maybe. If it's a pretty one, but when are they ever? Yeah, actually, you know, my husband's is very pretty. Not gonna <laughs> lie. How nice for you. Yeah. I'll just throw that out there. <laughs> <laughs> In case all were wondering. Now the world knows. Hey, we got Netherlands and Denmark. Hey! Welcome to the club, guys. Hello! <laughs> so they would also bring, of course women to testify in defense of Story's excellent character because he's just such a good man. Of course. So they would bring in a few of his current employees, which I'm like, wow, he must not have made them cry because what the fuck? So one woman one woman's name was Peggy. Peggy. She was a Mormon woman and she had also been seeing the doctor for 23 years. Okay. As a patient. Uh Uh-huh. He would also give Peggy frequent pelvic examinations and would even give her one once a week during a rather difficult (gasps) pregnancy. Okay. Her daughter, Rhonda, also worked in Dr. Story's office as an aide. Mm -hmm. So you know what's going on. Yeah. We're going to also find out uh, you do not need pelvics during a pregnancy. So it's just, ugh, it's really sad. I know saddening. when you said that, but, like, I've never had a baby. Um, like, so I don't know if you have a difficult pregnancy if they are required. So I guess not. I like, I say it because they do get a doctor to go in and like say on the record it, but they say the pelvics are needed in a very difficult pregnancy but even then it's like you don't it's not often and it's like the exams are done over the belly because like Sarah you went into an appointment with me one time when mm-hmm. I was pregnant with Theodora so yes. you saw like I we lit- I literally sat on the chair and he put a little thing to my belly I didn't even take my pants off and like we were done yeah and then I was hungry so it's like <laughs> it's just like that that shit doesn't it Ugh, it's gross, and she's testifying in defense of his character to say, like, he's such a good guy. And, it, like, don't be mad at Peggy. She's just, like, doesn't know, but it's just so heartbreaking because you know what's going on there. Yeah. And, but she's, of course, probably doesn't want to believe it. Right. Ultimately, the end of, at the end, very end of the deposition, they would interview Story, so... So sorry. I'm going to shout out this book. Please, please, please go read this book if you think anything that I'm saying is interesting because I didn't write that down for the sake of the length of this fucking episode. I'm tired of talking, but they do very like in-depth. They show the transcripts and whatnot, but the book is Doc, The Rape of the Town of Lovell by Jack Olson. Great book. Great read. It's fucking thick, though. She's a thick baby. She's a thick (laughs) little mama. The board did decide at the end that they were not going to look at his dingling, his shlimalama <laughs> ding dong. I'm just going to throw that out there. They were like, no, it's okay. His John <laughs> Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt. Yes. I'm just like, damn. 
he would give them the same excuses that he had been giving the whole time like patients are lying they owe me money one's crazy one's uh kinky incest like i could never do such a thing bullshit though they would catch him in a lie this is the only part of the thing that i uh, wrote down (laughs) (laughs) i love how i described that but they (laughs) they would catch story in a lie when there's a bit where they're questioning him about his pelvic exams and he's like you know i i could never do this i have even in fact reduced my pelvic exams uh because of the number of complaints i've been getting you know like just to keep the community at bay and the defense is like oh have you really because it actually like can you give us the numbers because according to your chart your medical records that you gave us it's like they've in fact doubled (gasps) and he's like oh well damn i guess you're kind of right Oh my god, idiots. Ew. Idiot, sicko. Yeah, yeah, gross. So, of course, yeah, they're like, you're, (laughs) that's ill. Yeah. That's weird. So on June 7th of 1984, the Louisville Chronicle broke out the headline that made me happy but shocked the town. Ooh. State board revokes doctor's license. (gasps) So the notice would begin effective starting on June 30th. And it quoted that basically the whole reason that they were revoking his license was due to, quote, unprofessional. I said that right, right? Unperfect. Yeah. (laughs) Unprofessional and dishonorable conduct likely to deceive, harm or defraud the public. And we would think that, like, yay! Round of applause. Oh, God. But I'm at the beginning of the third out of four parts, so uh, you know that it's... I know! I was like, this is rolling a wow, bit this quick. Is a... How are we? How are we getting to the... It's not. It's not even close, baby. So, of course, the following week... I'll, I'll get to it, bookmark. But until then, of course, the following week, Chronicle filled filled just it's weird it's i want to say these people's names so you can like google them and mm, but i'm not going to because we got to be somewhat nice around here but people would (laughs) and they didn't know any better it's it's whatever stupid people they they had iron in their (laughs) they had mercury mercury they had mercury in their water you know such such they would write things like Thanks for being such a wonderful doctor. We hope to have you for another 25 years. Doc and Marilyn, we love you. And God shall turn your midnights into day. Ew. I know. Like, that was tasteful, but gross. Yeah, I mean, very nice choice of words. It was beautiful, but not about... But, like, wrong people to say that to. Why don't you say that to the victims? Say it to the Red Rum and Red Wine podcast. Leave us a comment. Five stars, please. Oh, we're going to hell. (laughs) Oh, sorry, guys. So the town was overall, of course, really supportive of Story. Why not? Why wouldn't you be? You know, I'm like, and we're not just talking about letters. Like, it it is a frequent joke in the Story household that, like, their fridge and their freezers would be filled with food if 
I forget because I don't care to remember what his story's favorite food was. But once the people found out, like Marilyn said that their house was like flooded with the casserole of oh his choice. Oh my god! And I'm just like, okay, where's my fucking casserole for cheating on my college boyfriends? Like, <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck, bro? I'll bake you a casserole. <laughs> I'll take a chocolate cake, please. <laughs> maybe a bottle of wine instead <laughs> but i'm like bro what what okay so um now john had been pretty chill up until this point be because let's be honest he's gotten away with it for so fucking long like yeah. women have written to the medical board in the past and he's literally said like oh i can take care of it right and people have even gotten to the cops in the past and like nothing has come of it so he really thought that this was something that he would just be able to get away with for the rest of his life like that one other doctor but now that the board has actually like potentially revoked his license he's like fuck i'm actually gonna get caught for this allegedly so he goes back to uh, homeboy Carl Cal Taggett, whatever, that super powerful dude. And he mm-hmm. is like, hey, I didn't do this. Come on. You know me. Help me out. Oh. And so shortly after, the story household would get a phone call and it would be Cal. And he'd say, don't worry. I talked to the governor. <gasps> Doc will be practicing real soon. Oh my no. So by July 10th, the lawyers were rewarded a hearing by Judge, or they were rewarded a hearing before Judge John Dixon in Cody, which is about 46 miles west of Lovell. And the judge gave John a stay on the revocation and a chance to appeal. And Marilyn would write in her journal, praise the Lord. (gasps) So basically what this means, because I was like, huh? It means that until his appear, until his appeal is processed and they decide we're going to either accept or reject this appeal, he's going to be allowed to practice. And you have to think with the court systems being the court systems, you know, like justice and all, it is going to take a really fucking long time for them to even get a decision on this right. appeal or like even get the appeal in the works. Like they yeah, for them to one... even see it. <laughs> yeah. Cause like, so keep in mind, Dr. Story is born in 1926. So he gets arrested in 84. So he's like about to be 60. I think uh. I said he was in his sixties. Sorry. He's about to be 60. I'm, I lied a little. So at this point, uh, uh. <laughs> sorry <laughs> good one um, but at this point it could very much be that he can be practicing for the next like year even four years like this shit takes a while yeah. and he can like respectfully retire oh, yeah. on Fuck. my fucking hard earned tax dollars like with the fiocco with the fiocco no sir yeah, so he's, he, he's like getting away scot-free pretty much right now. And don't think that these rumors of him abusing his office are like keeping 
his office empty. Uh, I said that wrong. And don't think that these rumors about him abusing women in his office are keeping them out of his office because it, like, it, in one of the things, I forget where it says, he actually figures that he had done more pelvic exams in the last three months than any three months in his <gasps> lifetime. So, like, people were coming. They were like, I'm going to get a pelvic exam in support of you. I'm like, what the fuck? Oh, my goodness. Mm-hmm, okay. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. just, it makes me tingle, you, like, not in You know, ways. just bake just pick a casserole too. You don't you really don't have to go that extra step. That's I know, that's just ew. Ugh. So this also meant that any criminal charges that they were even thinking of potentially bringing up to story can just be forgotten about because the medical board took it over now. Like, it is the medical board's baby. They're not going to want anyone to touch it. On top of the fact that the police department is already, like, icked out by the thought of bringing a doctor, like, bringing up doctor rape charges. Yeah. Ugh. Icked out. <laughs> hmm And, of course, with half of the town sending in the support, like, through the newspapers, these victims are opening the newspapers and reading ev- all of these supportive words of story. The MacArthur women and really any women that had came out as a victim during the deposition were being harassed because <laughs> during one of the church meetings, Dr. Story told everyone in the church the name of the victims <gasps> that testified against him. He was like, she testified against me. She testified against me. She did. Because Dr. Story... Uh, mm, I was okay. so pissed when I read this. No, it's not... A, I'm not okay. Right. No. I like... Mm. I don't think I'm tall enough to ride this roller coaster. I'm like, what? Mm, I want to punch something so bad. <laughs> You can't, you can't do that. Like, oh, okay. Uh, Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like tallying down uh, in my mind every time he proves himself to be the illegitimate fucking rapist asshole he is. And it's a lot, a lot of tallies. Mm -hmm. Great thing about having a 10 inch stick is just more for you to cut off. Oh, yeah. Because it'd make a great necklace. (laughs) (laughs) And I want to punch these motherfuckers, too, because people would roll down their windows and literally... Some motherfucker rolled down his window and goes, I hope you're proud of yourself, and then would drive off. (laughs) I'm like, bitch, you can't even get out of the car and say it in front of my motherfucking face? I'm like, "Uh, actually, I, I am very proud of myself, Thank Actually, you I so much. I, I literally saved an entire town of women. Yeah, like I... No thanks to you. Put my fears and traumas aside to bring this asshole down. What do you have to say about it? Yeah. It... Uh, I... Mm, it... Uh, sorry. <laughs> I'm just really upset. Some of the victims would, like... People would go up straight up to the victims and be like, you're lying. 
this job like uh one of the victims wanda i believe worked at like a grocery store or something like that to where she would be like ringing up something and people would purposely like not go to her line they Aww. would like make a long ass line at, in another aisle to purposely <laughs> not go through to her i'm like these people are fucking they're mean girls you're a mean girl you're a bitch like yeah. fuck you man i'd like read this reading this book i just like felt so many fucking ways i kept crying i'm like this is it's it's really hard because the sheer amount of victim blaming that goes on is so much it's not okay it's from story one thing but to have like random people literally literal harassment and be like you're lying what the fuck and what even makes i'm like makes it better makes it worse i don't even know sometimes they would have other women come up to them and be like I know, like, I'm sorry, I know, because he did it to me, too. Uh, So you, on top of people harassing, have other victims coming up and trying, like, really low-key in solidarity. And, like, one of the women would say, like, after she would have a few women come up to her and be like, I'm so sorry, that also happened to me. She would describe how, like... At first, she was kind of upset on, like, why don't you speak up, too? But then after the deposition and after having her name, like, fucking dragged through the mud, she was like, I really understand, like, why those women wouldn't want to come forward or, like, understanding why they would keep silent on it. And a lot of, I don't think I had mentioned, but a lot of the times, like, a lot of these women didn't want to tell anyone because they literally thought that their husband would kill story and i know in one of the parts <laughs> i mention it but like a lot of these husbands some of these husbands when they find out like one gets a gun and was like waving it at the sheriff i get into it later on but oh it's, cool like, i these, think that's what these, blake would do to be honest yeah these men <laughs> get pissed and like uh at one point one man was like real close to fucking going and killing story but the wife <laughs> kind of calmed him down was like it's not worth going to jail (laughs) like please don't go to jail for this but it's very much like a you see that a lot in the book of like husbands find out and they're pissed and they're like i'm gonna fucking kill him good rightfully so rightfully fucking so man get you a man that does that hell yeah so with nothing left to lose arden and dean decide to go to a new county attorney and this dude's name is Terrell R. Tharp, but we're gonna call him Terry because I don't know what the fuck that. Sorry, Terry. That's that's a lovely name. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm just being mean for no reason, guys. I'm uh, no, it's okay. So he, we love it. We love a feisty Kristen. <laughs> so he has this reddish brown hair, and he has like really skinny limbs. And this is Arden speaking, not me. Okay, okay Arden would like- call. <laughs> I know, I continue to be mean. Arden would describe him as Bozo the Clown. (laughs) And she, like, really did think of him as such. But, like, she kind of had a reason to, kind of not. because So, like, Terry didn't... Terry. Bless his heart. (laughs) Terry didn't really know much of anything about the case. Like, he had heard, like, maybe one thing, but he was like, huh, no, I don't really know much about it. So when Arden sits him down and... She's there with uh, the daughters, too, and they basically and they tell him their what happened to them and what they're trying to do. It really didn't seem like Terry was giving 
her much encouragement. Hmm. He was just kind of like passively like, oh, okay, like, okay, all right, I guess. Like, yeah, I get it. And finally, like, after crying and telling their stories, he and that he was their last resort. Like, they had no other choice but to go to him and they didn't know what to do after this. He would say, okay, if you can round up 20 victims, maybe we can do something here. Well, shit. Uh, first five. You thought five was a lot. Now you've got to get 20. Uh, there are literal sports teams made up of smaller numbers than this, sir. This is a rape case, not the fucking Super Bowl. What the hell? Uh, what the hell? What the hell? And, okay, all right, mm-hmm. This one is really leaving me speechless just because of these fucking 20. men, bro. I, the audacity. Like, what? Like, why, why do we need 20 people to fucking get this guy stopped? That really blows my mind that you would just be like, oh, yeah, 20. 20 is good. But Terry. <laughs> Sounds like a good number. But our boy Terry, he's like, I mean, like, there's no magic number in 20. I guess it could be 15. (laughs) What the fuck? But he basically tries to tell Arden, you know, it's better than, it's better than two or three. And if they really wanted these charges to stick, because at this point they are trying to get him criminally charged. They're like, fuck this. Like, medical board isn't doing anything. We're going to go to this guy to see if, like, can we get him arrested? And he basically is trying... Like, I get mad at Terry, but you have to understand it from his perspective as a lawyer, and it kind of does make sense. They just went to a medical board with five victims. Five victims. And it was not... It's barely enough to even get his license revoked, and now they're, like, about to get it back. So if... It just is, it's more solid to come out with 20 victims rather than two or three, but we should just fucking change the laws to where you don't need that many people because the the (sighs) logic is missing me. It's going over my head because that is, two or three is enough in my mind. That's one is enough in my book. Like it's 20. I mean, I get it, I guess, you know, from the legal standpoint, but it shouldn't have to be that way. It should not have to be that way. It's icky. It's very icky. It like <laughs> leaves you with a gross, icky feeling. <laughs> Drink every time we say icky or ew. <laughs> I know. Could be. I need more white claw. But it, and it, it's just like the victims. Obviously, at this point, one are getting harassed by the public, and two, like during the deposition and any time that they're interviewed, they're being dragged through the fucking mud. So they don't. Like, I would be sick, too. I wouldn't want to talk about it. And it's, but it's like they know Arden just goes to her happy place, takes some umsa breaths and is really like, if if this needs to be done, like, okay, I'm going to put my detective cap back on and like, it's, we got to do it. It's just the only thing at this point that is going to put any kind of stop to this fucking madness. It is so crazy how I am still talking about this fucking story because what the hell? Yeah. Time to put it to rest. Mm-hmm. Bury that So ish. Arden 
goes through the little wrinkles in her brain and she remembers that there is a woman named Diana Harrison who had actually tried to bring in two new victims during the medical board hearings and was had heard under the impression that these two women were going to possibly talk obviously because they were down to go into the medical board hearings Mm -hmm. Uh, so she decides all right I have my starting point I'm going to start from here So we're going to get into Diana Harrison and her experience with Story. Now, she actually was in the deposition and she was brought on as, I think, I believe like a character witness for Story. She was a former employee, but like Diana had tea, but she didn't like really want to spill it. It's very odd. So Hmm. the questions that were asked during the deposition to Diana were really generalized and in her mind she made it so it was kind of like a don't ask don't tell situation like if they weren't going to ask her about it she wasn't going to say anything about it right and again I don't know if it's because she's nervous and like she doesn't think that what she has to say like could help or Well, and I'm not completely sure on how it works when you're on the stand, but I'm pretty sure you're just supposed to say, like, yes or no. Um, Yeah. Like, you don't say anything super extra if it doesn't regard to the question. Like, you're not really supposed to do that. So I see why she would kind of, you know, have that approach. Yeah. That and some of the thing or like some of the stories that she had or some of the experiences or what the f- I hate saying stories because his last name is story <laughs> but um some of the stories that she had were actually like other people's experiences and so she didn't feel like it was okay for her to talk about someone else's experience right. rather than hers and we also do find out that she actually gets her medical insurance through story still and her daughter at the time was suffering from a congenital urethra problem that required her to have an operation that was like ten thousand dollars so she wasn't really in a position to be talking shit against someone throwing them under the bus (laughs) medical insurance from yeah i mean like fuck feel that not insured (laughs) (laughs) but what you find out though she didn't tell the medical board she does. She did notice that he did have one patient that he liked to dilate rather frequently for headaches, and the way that it made it seem, it seemed almost more like an affair than um, like assault. Okay, it's weird. Like they would see. She would say like even at night they would go and it like he would dilate this particular woman so much that even his wife Marilyn was like what is he doing oh like it's kind of weird like she she would even pace outside the exam room sometimes if he was like in there dilating her Marilyn would yeah oh my god yeah so it's <laughs> I'm like it's very weird the way it made it seem was like very odd I do not know if this woman knew about these dilations she had to but have had an inkling of some sort she, but it's probably it, like 
you know, she has to stay in her place if she ever were to accuse her husband of anything like that. It'd be the end of her. It's it's just very... I thought... I read that and I was uh, curious. Uh, Very, very, very curious. Very curious. Mm -hmm. She would even start to notice that if... He had a female patient that had a troubled marriage or had a, like, sick or weak husband. I guess one that wouldn't be willing to kill him. He would give them really lengthy pelvic exams. And the women with husbands in really powerful positions would get the five-minute pelvic exam. Oh, my God. Okay. So, ugh. I like how she's painting, like, more of a picture, more of a pattern, you know? Mm-hmm. But she doesn't tell the medical board any of this. And she also doesn't mention that she would ultimately resign when she notices a wad of moist tissues <gasps> in the waste bin that smelled very strongly of semen. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry. Yeah. I know. She went to go change the waste bin after an exam and saw that and she was like, uh, okay, Bye. here's my, here's my resignation. I'm, nope. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. But what she does end up doing is giving Kathy Carpin the name of two victims that she knew after getting permission from them, of course. Yeah. So we find out that her aunt, Emma Lou Meeks, who is a 75-year-old widow, as well as one of Emma's closest friends, Julia Bradbury, had been assaulted by Story. And although... Emma would ultimately give Diane, you know, the permission to tell uh, Kathy their names and try to use them to as witnesses for the medical board hearing. Kathy would uh, tell Diana, oh, you turned in. We turned in the names too late. The medical board wouldn't accept them. So ultimately, Emma and Julia were not used for the deposition. Okay, But thankfully, it wasn't too late for Arden to approach Diana and say hey like she kind of gives Diana the talking to she's like it's time for you to get off the fence because Diana like holds back a lot of information there's like uh I they keep saying the word and I should have looked it up but there was like one piece of evidence that Diana had held on to for a little bit of time but ultimately she would throw it away but Arden would talk to her yeah Arden would talk to her and be like you know what's going on like your aunt admitted that she had been assaulted like you need to stop defending him and you need to start helping us out and it was like really after that conversation that Diana was like okay fine and so she would end up giving Arden Emma and Julia's name so now Arden had that information and she was able to go and get the uh witness statement or she like had something to give Terry so he could go and interview them because he Terry had ultimately told her like hey give me the 20 names of the victims I will interview them get the information that I need and then we can bring the criminal proceedings like to story okay so thankfully Arden isn't the only one doing some work around here Terry he's he's doing something he's meh he helps a little bit so he decides to meet with police chief Dave Wilcock to see what he knows about Story. Uh, I don't know how long he had been police chief at this point, but he's currently it. Hmm. 
so of story the Dave would basically say story's a tin god in Lovell. He's got his own church, his own clinic, his own fan club. But he would also confirm one that story's a fucking racist. So he would say okay. when the migrant workers would get hurt. He would always tell Dave uh, if he called to say, like, hey, we need you to come down and help this person out. And it was nighttime. He would say, oh, check him in the hospital. I'll go and see him in the morning. And he would also confirm that he had heard a few rumors about eight to ten years ago of Story assaulting his patients. And he would also talk about how one person had actually come up to him and asked him what he was going to do about Story. But when Dave tried to ask the person, like, oh, what do you mean? He, the person didn't go any further into detail. But I'm like, at this point, you've already heard the fucking rumors about him assaulting women. Like, I think you know what he's talking about. Right. But, I mean, whatever. He helps in the end. So, fine. But, Mm. like I said, I don't know how long he's been police chief. But at least he's deciding now to do something about it. Right. But he would basically tell Terry, like, they definitely had a criminal case on their hands. Like, this could definitely be brought up as a criminal case or a criminal charge. Good. But the thing is, is that they had to be really careful if they did decide to proceed with this and try to bring criminal charges up to him. Because with... Dave being the sheriff of the town, um, his boss is the mayor, who is Mm. a big supporter of Story. And Terry can also, like, lose his job as the attorney general or whatever. So both of them can, if they're caught doing this investigation that they're doing, because at this point, no one knows. It's really just Terry and Dave at this point that are working on this. Right. But, But if they... If they try to arrest Story and nothing comes of it, it just essentially, like, makes Dr. Story and men like him stronger. It builds that shit for them to, like, feed off of and fucking go and do more harmful shit to the world. Like, I can't I can't talk, but you know what I'm trying to say. (laughs) So Dave would start calling the victims and have his wife type out everything that was said, like, they worked hard. Like, she, the wife typed out a lot of shit. I remember, like, during one interview, it was, like, some 33 pages. So, oh, shit. Yeah, a lot of shit. He would start off by going to Minda, who was obviously rightfully upset about the whole thing, and informed him that the family went to 60 Minutes. They went to the American Civil Liberties Union. Like, they're going to all these places with their story because no one is helping them, and they feel basically deserted by the town. So she wasn't really, like, giving Dave anything. Like, she didn't really want to talk about her experience. She's just kind of like, I'm pissed off at y'all, and here's what I'm doing instead. When, So when he tried to interview Meg, because at this point what Dave is trying to do is, like, find a strong witness that he can bring to the stand. So Minda was a bust. When he gets to Meg, she can't say for certain that she saw Dr. Story's penis, and... You come to find later that both Meg and Minda are, like, very giggly when they get nervous. They're just kind of, Uh, like, they have the inappropriate reactions to those things. Me too, girls. Me too. 
Yeah. I, <laughs> and unfortunately, it it sucks, but it, it just doesn't make them a good witness because when you have them on the stand and they're laughing about a serious matter, it's like, oh, they're either not taking this seriously or they're joking about it. I mean, it's like they could be potentially lying or something like that. Right. Another woman that he had tried to interview, like, just flat out denied him and was like, no, I'm not going to interview you. Though he did have a semi-successful one with Diana Harrison, but through his findings and through him questioning all these women, he just really couldn't find anything that he believed would make a jury of 12 people believe without a doubt that, like, yes, story, in fact, assaulted these women. Mm. And they were kind of like, oh, shit, we're trying to grasp at straws at this point. Like, we really need to find something or else we're going to lose this case. And that is when their Hail Mary came in in the form of a wrinkled brown envelope that was postmarked from Denver. (gasps) And this envelope changed everything. Oh, shit. So in the brown envelope was a cassette tape. And in this cassette tape held the story of a woman named Terry Lee Timmons. And before I get into this, I am going to actually, like, read what she says. And it is rough. So if you uh, don't feel like hearing that experience, just, like, skip through, like, two minutes. Okay? But Terry had been too shaken to write anything so she decided I just like need to sit down bring and record myself talking about my experience so she starts by saying in the spring of 68 she had a doctor's appointment after school because she frequently experienced pain in her right side since she had begun her menstrual cycles at the age of 14 which she got a deformity from birth because her mom had taken medication while she was pregnant with her Mm. and it caused like fertility issues in terry so when she started so when she hit puberty and whatnot it caused like this really bad pains in her side anytime she got her menstrual cycle damn so she had to of course see story for these instances or she would, like, go see story, story to try and, like, figure out what was wrong with her, essentially. But she didn't figure find out what was wrong until, like, much later on. I think, like, after she had her first miscarriage, when she was 25, they ran tests, and that's when they found out. Mm. But in the tape, she said, and this is from her, these are her words. The day in question, I went in and sat in the waiting room. Imogene Hansen, who was the nurse, took me into one of the rooms and told me to undress the doctor came in and did the preliminaries asked me what was wrong and everything i told him it was the same thing i had a pain in my right side and i had no idea why he asked me to lay down and got out the metal instrument put on his glove and got out the lubricant Hmm. he began examining me with his finger inside and pushing on top like they always do to see if he could feel anything around my ovary or uterus He did this for a while. Of course, the door was shut, and it was just he and I. I was draped to where I could not even see him. Then all of a sudden, he deviated from any other time that I had been in for an examination. All of a sudden, as I was laying on the table, my feet in the stirrups, I felt something start to push against my bottom and the area of my my vagina that was very, very warm and fleshy, and yet hard. 
I didn't know what to think. I had never been taught by my parents or anyone what intercourse was. I had no idea what a penis looked like or anything like this. All of a sudden, I felt it push inside me. I started to cry because it really hurt. It was much larger than his finger, and it was not a hand with a plastic glove on it. It was bare skin. At this point, I couldn't imagine what he was doing, and yet I trusted him because he was my doctor. He kept pushing it in farther, and I just cried really hard because it hurt very bad. He pulled it out and proceeded to rub it up and down in my crotch for a while. I could not even imagine what was going on. Then he would try it again, and each time he would try to push it in a little further. Then he would take it out, rub it up and down my crotch some more, and push it in. By this time, I was just in tears, crying and crying. About the third time he pulled it out, all of a sudden, I felt a warm fluid go all over my bottom on the outside and down on the table underneath me. I had no idea in the world what that was at that time. After this happened, he started to fuss around. He grabbed hold of the paper that covers the table that they always pull down for a new patient out from under me, and he wadded it up and threw it away and started wiping me off. After this, he had told me to sit up and got dressed, and that he would be back in a few minutes. And so I did. Before he went out of the room and asked me to sit up, he said to me, you did very good. And then he left. At the time that this happened, she was just 15. (sighs) And she would explain that she felt that by coming forth and saying what had happened to her she at this point has a little girl of her own she just really wants dr story to get the psychiatric help that he needs which is so disappointing because all of his victims they always say like i'm not trying to ruin him i just want him to get help Hmm. and it's like the Even after he does what he does to them, the amount of respect that they still hold for him and show him throughout, they're, like, not at all trying to drag him through the mud. They literally just want him to stop assaulting women. It's it's just... I could never. I mean, respect for them, like, keeping it fucking kosher, but I could never. No, it's... And, like... Terry would go on to say, like, this greatly traumatized her. I, reading the book, honestly, out of all of the women, like, I think this one hit her hardest. Mm. I, I mean, like, she, not to say that it hit her, she reacted the hardest out of it. Like, she became very suicidal after this, and it was... She would say if it wasn't for her husband, if it wasn't for her Mormon religion, she would have killed herself. It was just Damn. very hard for her to handle. Yeah. She would, like, when she had gone to her bishop and to seek guidance, her bishop would even tell her, Terry, there are people on this earth that we call tender spirits. They're more vulnerable to pain and suffering that go with the wickedness of the earth. And you're just one of them. Like, breaks me a little bit. Yeah, because what the fuck? He's calling her basically, like, a fucking... There's so many ways you could put it. Almost like an ugly duckling. Like, you're just one of the evil ones. Or, like... 
Yeah, I just like he's just trying to say like there are some people that are really like sensitive to Earth's evils, and I just think like she's very much. There are some people that can handle the trauma, and there are some that can. And she, oh, she true. Was just okay, yeah. Unfortunately, like interpreted that. Yeah, wrong. like <laughs> no, you're good. You're good. No, it's okay. I'll make it a beautiful moment again. But yeah, she just she was just unfortunately like one of those women that could not handle the evil of the world and like and it was just something yeah it's just <sighs> heartbreaking man yeah but it's because of terry that they are able to get this criminal case rolling they're Hell like this yeah, is terry. a like it's a fucking solid account very reliable like they can use this yeah but as <laughs> well uh as oh my gosh the detective Wilcock is starting to figure out, like, he has a man interviewing these women who have been sexually assaulted by another man. Mm-hmm. It's kind of pretty hard to talk to them to get really inf- any information out of them. He was saying, like, when he had to ask questions about Dr. Story's penis or anything like that, he felt like a freaking rapist himself. He's like, oh, my gosh, I'm making these women so uncomfortable. Right. So he decides that... uh They need some help, but it's probably best if they get, like, a woman's touch on the case. And so that's when they bring on a woman by the name of Judy Cashel. Oh, Judy. Judy. Now, she is described as an innocent face with a command voice that rattled windows, a understated figure that was only 112 pounds of femininity, And three pounds of a .38 caliber that she liked to carry around. (laughs) And she also liked to dance. She didn't smoke. She seldom drank. And she would shock her friends by wearing Dolly Parton wigs. (laughs) Okay, I love her. (laughs) Yeah, we we like Judy. (laughs) We stand her. So she had previously worked on dope cases in the past and she's not uh she's not a woman of level like i forget where she is whoops sorry but she's not from here okay and she has just never been given a case of this caliber like she i think was like a witness on a bust in a brothel but that was the closest she ever got to any kind of sexual assault case so she was very much like chomping at the bit ready to get in and get this going huh So they quickly decide that they don't want to do anything undercover, like putting her in an exam room with Dr. Story alone to see if like maybe he'll go for it. Because though there is actually a case where like a woman out of town who was just driving through Lovell with her husband had like a back spasm and went to go see Story and he ended up like raping her. Oh my God. Yeah, super crazy. So even though there's a case like that, they think that, okay, he's at least like had the hearing with the medical board. He's going to try and be probably at least a little bit more careful. Yeah. And they just, I don't think, wanted, they didn't really want to put her at risk, even though Judy had said in the book that she had been in cases where she had been put at like higher risk. I guess like obviously she could have died or something so yeah or been subjected to stuff like if she was working in a brothel on a case she probably well she was she was just a witness Uh, she had only worked like really dope cases at that point so i'm like probably with the dope case you could easily maybe get shot 
I don't know. Is that... Yeah, many possibilities. <laughs> you could get beat up, raped, shot. Yeah. Fucking hit by a car. <laughs> I don't know. possible. Like, <laughs> hit by a dog. Yeah. <laughs> Anything. Take some bad drugs. Stabbed. OD. Yeah, you could Casual. get drugged. <laughs> yeah. So they're like, no, we, we won't do that. Instead, what we're going to do is have you work undercover and just, like, interview the women as quietly as you can. Because, again, they're having to do this in secret, not only because they could potentially lose their jobs over this, but uh, because you have fucking crazy-ass doctor story supporters like this one fucking chick, Jan Hillman, who would, like, snoop around (gasps) and go and tell doctor story like what was going on so she'd be like oh they're putting names together they're contacting people out of state like Ew. but we don't know why and, uh, well uh, yeah you do she's going given <sighs> uh, okay i kind of love how the town is so gossipy and snoopy I wouldn't want to, like, live there because of it, but it makes it interesting. It makes for a good tale. Yeah. Like, I can just imagine this fucking Mormon lady snooping around, spying on everybody. So as soon as, so as, soon as Judy gets on the team, they hit the ground fucking running. Like, they are pulling 16-hour days, seven days a week, trying to follow down any lead. They're telling officers, like, hey, can... Like, calling officers from different states, like, Colorado, hey, can you go track down this one person? Pennsylvania, hey, can you go track down this one person and interview us for her? Like, for us, whatever. You know what I mean. (laughs) Here's where the guy with the gun comes in. So, So, you actually find out that during the, while they're doing their little investigation, that the former mayor, Jim Wagner, in 1976, had actually had an epileptic woman come to him complaining about story Uh saying like, Oh, he took liberties with her. (gasps) And you also find out that the police chief at the time, Lamar Everett uh, refused to do anything about it. Uh. And when a man would come up to Everett with a gun (gasps) being like, I'm going to fucking kill Story if you don't do something about this. Everett didn't do anything about it. Oh, God. But, I mean, Story did. The The wife, like, calmed the husband down. The husband was, like, walking out the door, and the wife was like, wait. Wait, don't go. Don't go to jail for life because <laughs> yeah. of this. And he's like, fuck, you're right. Okay. Uh, I guess I don't want to spend my life in jail. Right. But good So for after him. hearing this... Yeah, he he took the better road for sure. So, of course, after hearing this, Wilcock decides, okay, I'm going to go to this police, former police chief's house, Everett's house, and confirm that you're the low-life sack of shit that you are. And so when when he starts asking Everett the questions of like, oh, did this one guy come up to you saying, hey, my wife was assaulted and violated or these did when these women came up to you like did you in fact do nothing and Everett would just turn red and be like yeah okay that did happen but if you 
try to like say that I said any of this in court, just remember an old man has an awfully convenient memory. I'm like, uh, bro, you're supposed to be a cop. And when Judy starts going and interviewing the women, at first you really see Judy, she kind of questions like, um, she makes one statement of like, I, she doesn't know how the women could have been sexually assaulted. And I know like when I first read about this case, I was like, huh, how does that happen? Because it would seem like such an obvious thing. But when she starts to interview the woman, it starts to really make sense to her. Like the women would use terms such as my bottom down there. Like one woman would call her boobs, my flowers. Mm. (laughs) There was even a woman that I know I'd like want to call them that now too. (laughs) But there was one woman, there was one woman who during the case you find out didn't even know that a man's shlomalama ding dong was called a penis. She didn't <gasps> even know that like penis was a word. And this woman was like in her 30s. Oh shit. Yeah, so Yeah. She that's also very telling. Yeah, it Yeah. It, the religion and the society really uh yeah, and we know it's not that their fault, obviously. It's just, it, no. it's telling of their uh, religion and societal upbringing. Crazy. Yeah. And she would also notice that, like, a lot of these women did not view themselves as, like, fucking women. They viewed themselves as property. She would say that a lot of them thought themselves as no more important than a bluebell cow. Or, <gasps> sorry. <laughs> that's ice cream. As a, as a bell cow or a blue ribbon hog. So, like, as fucking animals. Fuck. I mean, that's so fucked up, but I understand because of how they've spoken about how, you know, their place mm-hmm. in families and in their life and how oh a thousand percent and how as victims they would literally get banished for something right. that they had no control over i mean and their abuser and would it's get their fault fucking yeah. a reward or whatever yeah they fucking like continue to oh so judy would say that uh typically when the relay when Judy would say that when the realization had hit them that they were, in fact, being dilated with a penis and not a medical tool, that their minds would simply shut down. And it was a combination of shock and denial. Yeah. Some would even thank the doctors and then leave. Like Right. It, it's just some would even like politely ask how much they owed while writing the checkout. Some would go and schedule a new appointment, but she would also discover that the reason, like I had mentioned before, that a lot of these women stayed quiet was because their husbands like might kill story and go to jail. And then also out of the fear of the personal, like the shame that they felt and that their community and their religion had told them to feel about it. And also the ridicule and obviously like to anyone that thinks oh there's no ridicule like the victims all we've been talking about for three parts is just the pure victim shaming that has been going on so a lot of them didn't want to face it all there because yeah and the shame that they feel themselves is uh, hard enough 
Yeah. Like, because it's there. A lot of them feel shame for what happened to them, even though they had no control over what happened to them. So it's just very much like this very, very toxic merry-go-round. It's just very sad. Thankfully, though, I, I really do appreciate them doing this. They would hire the help of Patricia Wiseman, and she would become the town's new family violence and sexual assault coordinator. Aww. And they would basically tell all of the women to go to her to get counseling from her to really help them with the shame and come to terms with, you know, what happened to them and how to process it. It's not because at the end of the day, like, I fucking hate when people say like, oh, like move on or like forget about it or whatever. Like the like, what? okay, whatever, like three parts in. Three parts in, only the real ones are going to be in here. But, like, being a survivor of sexual assault, it's not about forgetting it. It's about coming to terms with what's happened to you and finding a way to grieve, process, and kind of live with it. Mm -hmm. Because it's never going to go away. It's always something at the end of the day, like, no matter what, even in the happiest of moments, it's going to be there. So you just have to find a way to help in a healthy way, process that emotion and better deal with it because it's never getting over it. You're right. never over it. Yeah. It's always there. Yeah. So great. <laughs> Sorry, great rant. No, I was like, great <laughs> rant, Kristen. I was actually beautiful. Um, but yeah, they, they just, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So thankfully, with the help of Patricia, they are able to finally get a voice of reason in the town to get these women the the help that they need. And also to give them a voice to or a place to vent throughout the trial, because as we are going to find out, it does get a little messier for them as well. Shit. Um, but as they are gathering their final... Like state, like the final pieces of evidence that they need to bring this criminal trial into fruition, they find out some like ugh, just really gross things. Oh. So, in one of the interviews that they do, they find out that he forced a fifteen-year-old to close her eyes and suck on an instrument. <gasps> That he placed into her mouth and he would tell her suck on it like a baby bottle. <gasps> there would be another instance and this one is really disturbing. So like skip 30 seconds over if you don't want to hear it. A mother would talk about how she had brought her three-year-old daughter into see Dr. Story. And he stuck a finger inside <gasps> of the three-year-old. And when the mother said something like, what are you doing? Story would look at her and simply tell her she might as well get used to it. (gasps) Oh, fuck no. Death penalty. I don't believe in the death penalty. Death penalty. I'm like, bro, that's deep. That, ooh, I had to step away. I had to step away. Anger hives. You also, you also, oh, sorry, this is just a hard bit. You also find out that it is not just Mormon women that he is doing this to. 
a lot of Mexican-American, a lot of Mexican women, I'm like, what the fuck? I'm Mexican. I could say it. a lot of Mexican women come up and say that he had violated them and he did not hide it <gasps> like he did with these Mormon women. So one woman would recall that he locked the exam room. She saw him pull out and put on a condom. (gasps) And then he began to dilate her so cruelly that she begged him to stop. But he would continue for a few minutes after that. Oh. There would be another woman that would come out. And she would state that he showed his fully erect penis to her. And she even had a 20-year-old son that she thought could be stories. But she told Wilcock, the detective, she was like, I'm not taking this any further. I'm just going to tell you and, like, I don't want to know. Oh, wow. There would be another victim that would come out. And these are just, like, a few that I am talking about because there's more. Yeah. Another would come out and say that he would openly, like, wash his penis in front of her. So you find that, like, with... And, of course, these victims, some of them would try to get help and ignored, of course. Yeah. But it's just, like, oh, escalation. He... I think I'm drooling just because my jaw is, like, closed or open constantly i like i'm i'm really at a loss for words because it it just really pisses me off yeah because i'm mexican and i take very much offense to that be jipping there it's the only one i know (laughs) so out of the two dozen women that they had interviewed during that time four of them would turn out to be hispanic catholics uh, one was a Lutheran German, a Lutheran of German descent, and the rest were Mormon women. And there was another German woman woman that I had read about that, like he had tried to assault, but she was like, "Fuck no!" She had like fought back, and he, she like left the office, and then he came out, and he was like, "Those damn Germans!" <laughs> Just like okay. Okay, story. Because she turned you down, bro? Right, okay. So it becomes very clear in the investigation that Dr. Story was, like, committing rape hate. Hate rape. Like, he would only typically rape those people, which he referred to minorities. And he had deemed... The Mormons as like satanic people. He <gasps> thought that they were like a total blasphemy. They were like blasphemous and they were going against God's word. And like he he really did not like Mormon people. Wow. And you kind of find out that like he typically it it's just very much a huge sign of control for him. Like it's he showed very typical signs of classic woman hating syndrome. Hell yeah. And he is such a control freak and Like, oh, one of the women, I believe it was the German woman, had made a reference saying, like, when small men try to gain control, they typically try to use their pecker to do it or something like that. (laughs) Like, her quote's way better, but it's along those lines. But, I mean, it's so so true, and it's just like, oh, he's gross. He's gross, and he... 
rapes women that he deems like inferior for total invalid reasons. It's yeah. stupid. Ew. And one thing that I did want to put in, so Judy had made a comment when she was pretty much finding out that he was committing these hate rapes that she wished that she could see this full complete stat list of all of the women that he abused. And that's when the rape counselor, uh, Pat Wiseman, Patty, chipped in chimed in and she said that and this is during the 80s when this is happening so it's a little different now but only one rape in five is reported to police and most went unresolved or unprosecuted reliable figures were really hard to come by at the time but it was doubtful that more than one rape in every 30 or 40 resulted in hard jail time wow so with all of these really fucking hard to cure accounts as well as a doctor that would confirm that yes a properly done pelvic exam would take about 20 seconds Uh, pelvic exams are not in fact done on pregnant women except occasionally on the early first visit and near delivery to check the cervix unless there's some kind of special problem which special aka rare doesn't happen a lot Mm -hmm. and that when this doctor gives pelvic exams he is never near like anywhere closer than or that he is never closer than 14 inches from the patient's body. So, like, uh, should be no pen marks on the fucking thigh. Should be no... Thrusting movements. And that, no, there is not <sighs> a tool that should be mistaken for a penis. So, there's, like, no tool that does that. Judy would come, go over to Investigator Wilcock, show him the interviews and all this shit and she'd be like is this enough and he'd go yeah that's enough okay fucking better be jesus christ and stay tuned next episode Ah! to see how it ends (laughs) cliffhanger i hate to do it to you but i gotta do it to you (laughs) so we'll figure out what happens part four the final part of this fucking story <laughs> that is finale. Jonathan's story. Oh, my God. Wow. Ready to be done with it. I'm ready to see this fucker hopefully in jail. Maybe, maybe not. I don't want to give it away. Hate Let's to see. see her go, but I love to watch her leave. Yes. <laughs> God damn, bro. This, the emotions, they, they're rough. They're, I've felt. They've been felt. Very much. Mm-hmm. So... Very much. We'll get out the next part when we get out the next part. Hopefully it's soon. <laughs> You'll get it when you get it. <laughs> you get it when you get it. You're not going to complain about it. So until next time, be sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Good Pods, uh, YouTube, TikTok, all that good stuff. At R-A-R-W Podcast. And if you're feeling lonely, you want to send us a little email, have a little talky talk. Red rum and red wine podcast at gmail.com. <laughs> I and almost <yeah>. lost it. 
<laughs> I remember uh, our last recording. I had to take it out because you forgot the podcast bit on the email. <laughs> I was not realizing it at that point. I was done. Yeah. So, yeah. Stay tuned for more. Give us five stars. Leave a comment. And Love part us. four coming at you whenever it comes at you. Bye. Bye.